This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. One of my big concerns is that we don't actually get to see people that are representing ideas that are incredibly important and that are very politicized. We don't get to see them debate. We don't get to see anybody actually have to defend what they're saying anymore. It's all just echo chambers. You saw this recently with Dr. Fauci, and I want to get into some of that and, and also the ways that if we allow the narrative to continue as it is right now from the Fauciite perspective, we are in for a very rough year in terms of individual liberty and economically. So this fight is not yet over, not even close, really, even though the vaccines are out there. But there is another fight that you have to be in these days, and it's the fight for your privacy. This is absolutely essential. This is a must. You need to protect your activity online because everything you search for, watch, or click can be tracked by the big tech companies. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. This is standard, okay? This is what the big tech companies do. But when I switch on ExpressVPN on my computer and phone, I have the app on my phone. It's so easy. My IP address is masked by a secure VPN server. It makes it harder for websites to identify me. ExpressVPN also encrypts my network data to protect my sensitive information. You know, credit card, social security number, stuff like that. This is something you've got to have. Stop handing over your data to the big tech companies, all right? They're looking at this all the time. Who knows what they're going to do with it down the line? Go with the VPN that I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. Go right now and just go sign up. Trust me, expressvpn.com slash buck. I've got this on my phone. My family has it on their devices now. I insist that people have this. It's, it's necessary. Expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash buck, and you'll get three months free extra when you go right now. Fauci is a petty tyrant. I've told you that many, many times. And it's increasingly clear because here we are at a place where we should have um, a, a willingness to just allow people and allow, allow states and allow individuals to have much more control, much more autonomy over their lives. And Fauci is fighting it at every step of the way. He does not want people to be able to just say, I've gotten vaccinated. I've had enough. I, I now want to just go about my life and make my own decisions. No, the public health bureaucrats, the consensus lockdown left, they aren't letting go of their little grip on power. And I want to remind you, we are now in the one year month anniversary. Uh, a year, a year ago to the to this month, we had the beginning of lockdown, the beginning of this whole new change in, in approach to public health. And it's absolutely atrocious that here we are arguing with public health authorities, unelected bureaucrats, about whether after vaccination we should be able to return to normal activity. They won't allow it. And it's not based on the science. This is a judgment call that they're making. And here's, at the heart, here's what's at the heart of it. They don't want people to be able to to start living their lives again as they see fit. Because then everybody will say, well, hold on a second. They're OK. They're not dying of the virus. They've gotten vaccinated. They're fine. Why can't I do that? If they really wanted everybody to get vaccinated as well, there's an incentive issue here. 
I mean, what they're telling us, the sales pitch from the Fauciites is get vaccinated, but you still got to distance. You still got to wear two masks, not one mask, two masks, one mask, not enough. Maybe goggles too. gloves, goggles, two masks. It's not that uncomfortable. It's not that much to ask. Look at the numbers. You know, they, they tell you, go get vaccinated. Deal with all the hassle of getting a vaccine appointment. Depending on where you are, it can be really onerous. Some places are better about it than others. And afterwards, you still, you still must do all of the things you did, all the mitigation measures that you were doing before you got vaccinated. This is absurd. Dr. Rand Paul, you know, Duke University Medical School. The guy's an MD. It's amazing to see how many people think that he's a Jill Biden fake doctor on the left. Because I've been tweeting about this. I've been trying to make the case publicly and, of course, poke the liberals over this because they deserve it. Poke the leftists. I don't like I've never liked the term liberal for the left. Those of you who have listened to my show now for going on 10 years uh, know that I've always said that they are they intentionally use that. That's a misnomer. That's a misleading term for them. They are anti-liberal. They're authoritarians. They are statists. They are leftists. They are collectivists. They are not liberal. But anyway, uh, w- there was an exchange on Capitol Hill yesterday where Dr. Rand Paul uh, gave, oh, I don't know, you could say something of a an on-air enema to Dr. Fauci because we wanted to see what this guy has really got going on. Want to see what his arguments really are. And Dr. Fauci is full of it. Absolutely full of it. Here's how I, I want to play this for you. And I want you to really hear the back and forth because it's so rare that this guy is subjected to anybody who really knows the data and understands the science. He's every bit as smart. I'm going to tell you this right now. Dr. Rand Paul is every bit as smart as Dr. Fauci. He's smarter than Dr. Fauci. All right. So I, I don't want to hear any of this. Oh, he's not a scientist. Actually, he's an MD, too, and has been practicing, practicing medicine for a long time. Dr. Fauci has been a bureaucrat. He's been sitting around in conference rooms at the CD, at, not at the CDC, at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. I just wish it had an easier acronym. CDC is easy to say. Here's how some of this went. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. We yeah, don't you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type versus variants and what now proof reinf- is there what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants none in our country zero well because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet we're having one can i finish we're having one one seven that's becoming more dominant policy based on conjecture no you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture it absolutely is based on conjecture What we know about other similar viruses and how vaccination works is that and also what we've seen so far in the in the numbers is that the vaccinations are highly effective against even the variants, as Fauci calls them. You know, isn't it fascinating also and hat tip the Federalists for this one, uh, the variants, you can call them the Brazil variant, the South African variant, 
the, you know, uh, you know, whatever variants, there's some that have these numbers. But if you call it the 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 Wuhan coronavirus, you're causing hate crimes. That That's a, that's amazing, is it? So it's, it can be a Brazil variant that's super dangerous and deadly and kills people. That's well, although that's actually not true, by the way. It's it's slightly more contagious, they think, but it, it isn't more deadly based on what we've seen. Or, or you could say that about South Africa. But if you call it the Wuhan coronavirus, you're causing hate crimes. It, it, interesting sta- double standard that we see there. Um, but variants are always going to exist. And there's always the possibility of more variants. So you see what Fauci is telling you is you have to wait and we have to see if it's possible that there's a much higher reinfection rate with the variants than there currently is. Because here's what here's the debate he doesn't want to have. Hold on a minute. You're telling us that people that are 95 percent. Safe against this virus aren't aren't able to go out now without all these restrictions in place and live and live their lives. What is safe? Is it 100 percent? What's the number? When do we get our lives back? When does this actually stop? They don't want to answer that. You'll notice they don't want to tell you. People are starting to pick up on this. In fact, out in Oregon, there are state health officials who are advocating for forever mask policy. This has happened now. In the state of Oregon, the, the health officials there are, are lobbying or are pushing for, we should just wear masks forever, guys. This is a good idea. These people are insane. They're insane. They're experts. But it's so refreshing to see Rand Paul slap around this little totalitarian smurf, Dr. Fauci. And this is how it goes. So you, some, you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No. You've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No. You can't get it again. There's almost, there's virtually 0% chance you're going to get it, and yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine, who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. Amen. Oh, Rand Paul. God, what a what a breath of fresh air on this on this issue. They also there's there's some uh, some exchange before the one I played for you where he just he cites major scientific studies about reinfection and about what happens after vaccination to show that there a, a successful vaccine is not one where people worry about reinfection. Reinfection is possible. Anything is possible. But when you're talking about public health, it has to be based upon risks. It has to be based upon the numbers, as Fauci says. And they're just making stuff up now when they say, well, yes, the numbers show you should be able to go back to your normal life. The numbers show that everything should be fine. But there's this possibility of a variant. There's this chance that maybe this thing is different than all the other things we've seen. We don't know that yet, but you will continue to suffer from our dumbass lockdown policies until we have proof beyond our any doubt, any doubt that this isn't some aberrant situation. That's how they're making health policy now, my friends. That's what they're doing. 
They're saying, yeah, sure, the numbers suggest that you should be fine, but until we're satisfied that this isn't the different thing from all the other situations like this before it, we're not allowing you to stop with our measures, our restrictions. This has all been a campaign to force you to obey, to bend the knee to the dictates and the anxieties of the leftist lockdown mob. And we are starting to push back effectively enough that they are losing their grip on our faces. Continuing on with the Paul versus Fauci throwdown here on Capitol Hill yesterday. Man, I loved watching Dr. Rand Paul smack this smug uh, little uh, he's Fauci. I, the words I want to use, I can't say on the radio. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign. I, I totally disagree with you. I totally disagree. You have like a one in a bajillion chance of getting reinfected. So you got to wear a mask. That's where this this little health fascist comes down on this. He's he's double masking now. He wasn't double masking three months ago. He's such a scientist. He's so smart that he just figured this out now. Does anybody believe this crap? Does anyone really think that that's really that's what's going on here? They just figured out now that two masks are so much more important than one. No, what happened is that the mask mandates across the country failed. And instead of admitting and the CDC's own data, fact check me, Media Matters, go for it. Instead of the C- looking at the CDC's own data and being honest about it, which is that a mask mandate is so worthless that it's within the, ar- within the margin of error for being a complete nothing. Not that it helps even a little bit. I've been saying, you can go back and listen to earlier, earlier shows. I've been saying since June, yeah, maybe masks help a little bit, but is it 1%, 10%? And is that worth it? Is it worth harassing everybody and doing all this for, sh- for slowing down? Not stopping, slowing down 1% of cases over a 60-day period. Remember, it was always about slowing the spread. There was no stopping the spread. This, this transformed, though, in the public consciousness because of, of people like Fauci. But Rand Paul's absolutely right. Double masking? Double masking? After he's already been... Fauci's been vaccinated. Why is he double masking? Someone try... To explain this one to me, someone tell me what what the rationale behind this is. And he's absolutely right. Rand Paul's right when he says this is actually all about theater. It's about showing people, showing people um, that you need to wear a mask, which is not actually science. Now, Fauci Fauci had to go out on CNN last night and tell everybody, I promise, I promise we're not going to do this forever. You know, there's going to come a time when um, you're so sick of my stupid face that you don't listen anymore. Even the dumb libs that watch MSNBC and think they're so smart, they're going to figure out, oh, wait, like everyone that was going to get infected pretty much has gotten infected at this point and the masks didn't stop it. But In the meantime, let me say, we're not going to do it forever. Play six. You know, like I said, there's always a bit of a kernel of truth in what people like Senator Paul says. The kernel of truth is that people are tired 
of the constraints that you have, the types of things that we as scientists recommend. We're not saying doing this indefinitely. We're not saying this is the way it's going to have to be all the time. We're saying that if you look at the data and look at the science, there is a chance that you could get in trouble if you pull back too prematurely. That's what we're saying. We're not saying that it is not difficult to maintain public health measures when you're doing it for so long. On that, we agree. But the fact is, you know, when you look, Chris, historically at pulling back on mitigation, we look at the different surges that we had. It was always at a time when the cases came down, then they plateaued, and then they started going up again. Right. That's a lie. He's lying to you. No, it, we, didn't, we didn't have a, a big pullback before the, you know, before the winter on, on mitigation measures. That's not true. But here we are. We saw what the numbers were. Has Fauci ever even tried to explain California versus Florida? Has he ever tried to explain that? No, of course not. Why isn't he asked about that? Why doesn't someone say? I'm sure he'd say, well, the data, it's complicated. You know, whenever he doesn't have an answer, it's complicated, the science. He goes into the usual nonsense. This comes with real consequences. You don't see it because the people that work at CNN, they love this. They love this. They get to they got to defeat Trump, put the coronavirus ticker at the bottom of the screen. Look at all the death in their minds. It it justified all the lies, all the smears, all the stuff that they did against Donald Trump. He is the monster. They said he was because, look, he didn't take the virus seriously. And they got to work from home and they, their salaries stayed the same. In fact, they had a big ratings boost in the election year. Everything was fine for them. You don't hear from the people that have been self-medicating with alcohol and opioids because they're under inhuman amounts of stress because they're just watching their life's work, their business evaporate over months and months, watching their life savings go down to zero, watching their children develop anxiety disorders and real behavioral problems from being in this in this form of, of at-home detention, you know, the virtual learning that does not work. That, that experiment has been tried and failed. You, you don't see that. No, no. All, all you see is the weaponization of the body count of senior citizens from COVID-19 by CNN and other bad faith actors to attack their political opponents. That's what's really gone on here. All right. This is a virus that is dangerous for the elderly and those with serious health conditions. And what CNN has done is use that as a as a weapon to bludgeon their political opponent, not just seeing a New York Times. I mean, the whole the whole lib media apparatus has done this and allowed no dissent. And the, and the social media companies have been awful. I'm still targeted by Facebook and Twitter and can't reach my audience. I'm, thank God I can talk to you on radio and they haven't figured out how to censor my podcast, although they don't feature my podcast in the Apple store the way that they should based on the actual downloads because I'm not connected and, you know, the whole thing. But. The, the, the fact of the matter is they didn't even allow open debate and discussion about these things. I mean, what's really going on now is, is Fauci, the, the little health fascist, is running around telling you you have to keep wearing double masking now because we have to wait for the whole country to get vaccinated. The whole country is not going to get vaccinated. That's never going to happen. A lot of people aren't going to do it. A lot of people are going to say, why should I do this? Especially if they're young and healthy. Say, I'm not going to do this. What are you going to have the government mandate it? 
This is going to stretch on for months and months and months more. The CDC just came out and said, you know, yeah, maybe the six feet of distancing in schools isn't necessary. Maybe it's three. Three feet in distancing is basically no distancing. We're not idiots. We can see this. The CDC was just making this crap up. Next week, I will announce our next goal to put shots in arms. This is a time for optimism, but it's not a time for relaxation. I need all Americans, I need all of you to do your part. Wash your hands, stay socially distanced, keep masking up as recommended by the CDC, and get vaccinated when it's your turn. Now's not the time to let down our guard. In the last week, we've seen increases in the number of cases in several states. Scientists have made clear that things may get worse as new variants of this virus spread. Getting vaccinated is the best thing we can do to fight back against these variants. While millions of people are vaccinated, we need millions more to be vaccinated. And again, I need you to get vaccinated when it comes when it's your term and you're able to do that. I need your help. I need you to help. Not just the country, but your family, your friends, your neighbors. Get them vaccinated as well. This declining fool that we're told is, is the great leader the country needs right now. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look the American people right in the eye and I'm going to tell them, hey, the science, this is what the science says. And they're all going to listen. Because when Joe Biden says science, you know he's a really smart guy. The variants. We're supposed to now be held hostage to the variants. We don't know if the variants are going to get around the vaccination. We don't know if the variants are going to continue to mutate and change in any way. Uh, But we still have to live our lives in fear of them. If I had told you a year ago, if we were having this debate a year ago, and you know that this is true, you know that I'm right. If I had told you that the Democrat position would morph over time, and this is a very much a political and partisan thing. Now, that is absolutely what it has become. It's been that way for a long time. The Democrat position on this would be we need to we need to double mask after getting vaccinated as individuals. You will be wearing two masks after you get a vaccine that all of the data says has a 95 percent, depending on the vaccine, I know. But the main one that people are getting a 95 percent effectiveness against serious disease, against a serious infection of of COVID-19, you would say, oh, okay, so the Democrats have lost their minds. And I would say that is correct. That's where we are. We we have the end of this now. It, It is in our hands. They never want to allow this to be the end. They haven't gotten enough. Biden's only been in office for two months. The complacent American people the masked up, knee-bending, terrified American people have not been abused enough. I mean, they've been molded into a place now where they can be forced into these things, but the, but the Democrats haven't gotten the full political mileage out of this. We've got a world to save from climate change. And, you know, if, if they can force you to wear a mask, maybe they can force cows to stop farting. I mean, who knows? Who knows what we're going to see in our future here? They're not willing to give this up. 
They can tell you to stay in your home. They can shut down your church. They can shut down your business. This was the original open excuse for social media censorship. Don't you see that? It wasn't actually the election dispute. They started going after COVID misinformation at Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube. That was their first move. That was the first time that the social media platforms showed us, told us, we have picked a side in public debate. You are not allowed to take the other side. Okay. That's a big change in society. You know, this would be the equivalent of in the in the 19, you know, let's say in the 1980s. All the newspapers in the country said we, we refuse to publish conservative opinion on the economy. We, we, we refuse. It is a wrong thing. You're forcing people into poverty if you believe that lowering taxes and allowing for more growth and prosperity is a better economic plan. You know, if you believe in Reaganomics, you're a bad person. And so we cannot publish that anywhere. In fact, we will suppress it openly. That's what we've seen with the social media companies. And it started over COVID lockdowns. I have been telling you this all along. I know a lot of people were running around just with their, you know, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA all the time. And oh, my gosh, Hunter Biden. And that does tie into the censorship issue, which is important. But there are people that were that should have been fighting this fight with me. And instead, we're just just gripping onto the MAGA train because it was what was easiest and best for their careers. This was the central fight all along. This is why Trump lost the election. This issue. I mean, when, when I, I spoke to senior people on the Trump campaign and, and they, you know, without attribution, but I, I talked to them pretty recently and, and they were telling me that really all you had to know is, did somebody really believe Fauci? If they really believe Fauci, they voted for, for Joe Biden. I mean, I really believed in him. If they were a big Fauci, they voted Biden irrespective of everything else. If they had questions about Fauci, they voted for Trump. I mean, with over like a 90 percent accuracy on that. So that's really all you had to know. This was the central issue and it ties into everything else. Don't you think the American people would be a little bit more uh, a little bit more engaged if we could actually have? Oh, I don't know rallies about the immigration crisis right now how did the tea party get going what was it really it it wasn't so much an online movement there was some online organization it was people showing up and when people see a lot of other people showing up when they see that that act of of solidarity when they see that mobilization then they realize wow maybe i should show up too and i should tell other people we should have our voices heard by the government They wouldn't even allow that in the early stages of the lockdown. You remember this? They were dispersing lockdown protesters based on the lockdown orders. And now here we are with a Biden administration that is everybody's left wing, more left wing. You are now seeing an administration that is more progressive and more left wing than the Obama administration. That's just reality. And where is the counter movement? Where where are we? Well, we're so busy making sure that we have some filthy, you know, soiled cloth to put over our mouth, loosely fitted while we're going to the grocery store 
because some people in the country have just been brainwashed into this this lunacy of all you have to do is wear a mask and we're going to stop this thing. Yeah. How'd that work out for us? We're all wearing masks. OK, I live here in New York City. Everybody was masking the whole time. The virus ripped through while the mask mandates were in effect. Didn't make a difference. The CDC's own data tells you the mandate did not make a substantive difference. But people don't want to think that they're not that smart or that they have bad judgment or that they can be fooled, that they're the sheep. The sheep never want to believe they're sheep. Sheep think they're lions. That's the problem. In our politics, that's always the way this goes. The people that are most easily led by the mob, by the crowd, believe that they're brave. That's, in fact, one of the great appeals of being a member of of the sheep is that you get to be safe and warm and fed and think that you're a hero. You get to have the state take care of you. You do what you're told. And that's a mark of bravery in this instance. That's how the left sees this. That's how the collectivists set all this up. But this left wing Biden administration, that's exactly what it is. No concession whatsoever on the issue of of lockdowns and what the data actually shows us. You'll notice the Biden mysteries. They're terrified of people figuring out what a miracle Florida has been in, in comparison to everywhere else. They're terrified of people really understanding that more broadly than they already do. I mean, you see the way that this keeps getting reported on. I mean, it's it's remarkable stuff. Uh, you have uh, you have, for example, Politico. Here's a headline from Politico. Ron DeSantis is very pleased with himself. And I just tell everyone that that you should note the thinly veiled seething contempt that the journos have for Ron DeSantis for saving millions of Floridians from absurd and worthless lockdowns that wrecked economies and ruined lives. The journos are mad at him for this because he makes them look like fools because they were all cheerleaders for lockdown. You're saving lives. You're saving lives. Not true. Look at the data. Look at states with mask mandates and without great data just came out on schools that had masks required, uh, mixed mask policy and mask optional. Who wants to guess what that showed for transmission specifically in schools? This is controlled environment. Did, did, did schools with mask mandates fare any better than schools without mask mandates? This is in the U.S. This is now the most recent data set on this. Anyone take a guess? No difference. Rise and fall of the infections right, right in line with each other. Same thing. Didn't change a thing. How much more of this is it going to take? Well, it's not about the numbers anymore, as you see. It's about all these other things. It's not about keeping you safe. It's about controlling you. It's not about speaking the truth. It's about people feeling like they're smarter than they are, feeling like they're better than they are. That's what's at the center of all of this. And then you have this progressive Biden administration, all the handlers around Biden who are really controlling everything and the recognition that they're just beginning to show you what they've really got planned. You know, we, we were left in a in a very weakened political position after Trump's first four years. I mean, this virus, the devastation of the virus and the lockdowns has put us in a place where there's not a lot of effective Republican pushback against what's happening right now. The Democrats know they they smell blood in the water and they're in the midst of a political frenzy right now. They're trying to get everything they they trying to get everything they've dreamed of getting done as quickly as possible before the American people can wake up and say, 
hold on a second. This isn't what we were promised. This isn't the Biden administration. The media told us we're going to have. We'd have this this cuddly old grandpa we could all count on who, you know, would just get it done the way that we needed him to get it done and all this stuff. I mean, Joe Biden, they call him a moderate politically before this. He wasn't Joe Biden wasn't a moderate. He was a mediocrity. He was a go along to get along guy from Delaware who's been in politics longer than I've been alive. It's not impressive. And what's happened now is they're using this guy in order to get what they want politically. The left is doing that. Must be matched with fairness and equity. Now, when President Harris and I took uh, a virtual tour of a vaccination center in Arizona not long ago. President, President Harris and I took a... I, I know that they're going to say, oh, that's just a little, little slip, slip of the tongue. You know, a slip of the tongue from Biden, a sniff of the head from Biden, a uh, a creepy grasping of the shoulders from behind by Biden. You know, all those things that he does. Um, I, I know that there's there's going to say that that's just. Uh, what, maybe a senior moment, is that what we would call it to be gentle about it? But notice that he says it and then doesn't even stop himself. Now. I understand that many of us on the right have been predicting for a long time now that it is only a matter of time before the Biden administration turns into the Harris administration. And this is this isn't some long shot conspiracy theory thing. This is the guy's almost 80. The the rigors of the presidency are substantial. I mean, look at George W. Bush. Look at Barack Obama when they came into office, when they left. I mean, they the presidency aged both of them dramatically, Um, particularly. I think you say Bush. I mean, Bush was uh, like a different human being at the end of it. And Joe Biden is is not up for this. I mean, we've seen this. We've we've it's been very clear all along that this was going to be an issue. And when he says things like this, the media will just push it aside. But they're living in an alternate reality. It's like when I told you about the the Matt Taibbi piece on the Sovietization of the American media. There are now there, comedians are, are bemoaning the fact that there's nothing to make fun of with Joe Biden. I mean, this is a guy who says absurd and dumb things on a regular basis and who is like is like Mr. Magoo walking around here as the president of the United States, you know, going up to a, a dump truck and petting it because he thinks it's a cow. I mean, he has no idea what the hell is going on sometimes and they can't make fun of him. Right. Because Trump was so scary. Oh, my gosh. Trump is so scary. Who's really running this administration? Who's really calling the shots? We know. Doesn't look like it's Joe Biden. I mean, to say that this guy is a leader in any meaningful sense. Also, I, I hate this thing when he walks out. He's by himself in the White House, walks out well, you know, wearing his mask until he gets up to the podium. Yeah, th- this is theater. Th- this is this is like the definition of theatrics. And it's exactly what we're seeing here over and over again. But people want to be- people want to believe what they want to believe. And. You know, for example, here, CNN's own Don Lemon, who Trump very uh, famously referred to as, I think, the dumbest person. I think Trump called Don Lemon the dumbest person on TV, which is 
almost I think for for news media, that's not quite true. There there are dumber. There are dumber people. I tell you, Don Lemon is no genius, but there are dumber people who are who have big platforms and who who go on TV. Um, But here's the Don Lemon assessment, which is the CNN assessment, which is just let's just talk about how great Joe Biden is, even though it's absurd. Play 12. Why don't you be a patriot? Why don't you just be a decent human being and stop trying to be so negative and 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 get Dr. Fauci or Joe Biden? Guess what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Joe Biden is doing a fantastic job when it comes to the pandemic. He's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. He's getting shots in people's arms. He's following the science. He's not giving you lies. He's not telling you that light and bleach and disinfectant is going to help you when you inject it inside of your body. So stop it on the right because the guy you had in the office did really dumb stuff and told you crazy things, lied about you, gaslighted you. And you fell for it and you believe it. And now you're walking around and you don't want to get the vaccine. Why? Because you say you don't trust it, but you really don't want to get it because Joe Biden is doing a great job with it. And that is the truth. Now, take that to the bank. (laughs) Oh, CNN really does put morons on TV all the time. Biden versus Putin round one. This is showing you just what we've got with this, uh, the foreign policy expectations that we should all have for the Biden administration. Remember, Joe Biden, the way they sold him early on when when he was picked as the vice president, uh, when he was picked as the vice president for um, Barack Obama, was that he had great foreign policy experience and he was so knowledgeable about the foreign about foreign policy of the United States. And then the the one area, I think, of the Obama administration that was the most universally understood to be unsuccessful and disastrous by any, by anyone who's honest. I mean, I know that, you know, you have Ben Rhodes going on MSNBC. We were great. We're so smart. Yeah. Ben Rhodes was like the foreign policy architect of the Obama administration. I mean, the, the people they put in charge of things, you look at them, you say, are you, are you guys serious now? See, I actually tell you the truth and that some of the people that were in very senior positions in the Trump administration were very bad choices, too. And Trump admits that now. So people who were very mad at me when I said things like this is a bad pick. He shouldn't have his kids as his top advisors. He shouldn't have, you know, Rex Tillerson as a secretary of state or whatever the case may be. And they said, you know, Buck Trump knows what he's doing. Actually, no. On some of those things, he didn't. And that's okay. No one's perfect. I get it. Easy for me to sit outside the White House and and call it out. But I will say sometimes it was obvious. But I think Trump's Hart was in the right place with 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 most of those picks. I understand the family issue is uh, I, I think that was that that's really the one that I just find the most uh, the most inexplicable and indefensible. But anyway, um, but Biden just put dumbasses in charge of things. I'm sorry. The Obama administration. <laughs> see, it all it all now starts to starts to come together in your head. Uh, the Obama administration just put people in charge of a lot of things that you'd say, wow, you know, like John Kerry, for example. Secretary of State, by the way, one of the most overrated intellects on the planet is Hillary Clinton, where we're told that she's so impressive based on what? Based on what? Based on being ruthless, based on being uh, cunning and completely, uh, you know, amoral. That, That makes her really smart. Hello, Hillary. Have you ever heard her say something? Wow, that was really astute. That was really good. No, she's a Russia collusion truther. She lost the election. 
when when asked, I mean, famously, when they asked about her foreign policy, when there were discussions about what she had accomplished as secretary of state, her then spokesperson started stammering and said something about how she's flown so many miles on the secretary of state's plane all over the world. It was like a million miles or some crazy number. And we're all supposed to be impressed by that. Oh, so she went on a lot of a lot of taxpayer funded boondoggles on a big fancy jet to go to basically have parties in foreign embassies as secretary of state. Yeah, real challenging stuff, you know, for Hillary Clinton. But let's dive into the what we're seeing so far from the Putin administration. I'm sorry, the Biden administration on foreign policy when it comes to Putin uh, and also China. I mean, our, our two major geopolitical opponents are Russia and China, but Russia is an in irritation. You know, Russia can be a problem for us. Russia is like the snake that can bite you. China is the snake that has venom that can kill you. There's a difference, right? One of them hurts and can slow you down. The other one can can end you. And and China's just a a graver, more serious threat across the board to U.S. long term geopolitical interests. Um, You look at the size of the Chinese economy, the Chinese population, just everything is is trending in their direction right now. Russia's got a fraction of the U.S. population, a fraction of the economy, all kinds of problems, but already causing problems for the Biden administration. Here is uh, here's the, the story up on CNN. Quote, the Kremlin has reacted angrily to U.S. President Joe Biden's remarks that Russian leader Vladimir Putin is a killer calling the comment unprecedented and describing the relationship between the two countries as very bad. Putin on Thursday, nevertheless, invited Biden to hold open open talks in the wake of the remarks. In an interview with ABC that aired Wednesday, Biden said Putin will pay a price for his efforts to undermine the 2020 U.S. election following a landmark intelligence assessment in America that found the Russian government meddled in the 2020 election with the aim of denigrating Biden's candidacy. When interviewer George Stephanopoulos asked Biden if he thought Putin was a killer, the president said, mm-hmm, I do. Responding to the comments, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told reporters on Thursday that there hasn't been anything like this in history. He said it was clear that Biden definitely does not want to improve relations with Russia And the relationship between the two countries is very bad. When asked how it can affect relations, Peskov Peskov said it is absolutely clear how, but refused to elaborate. These are very bad statements by the president of the United States. He definitely does not want to improve relations with us. We'll continue to proceed from this. And then Putin responded Thursday by saying, I'd like to offer President Biden the opportunity to continue our discussion, but on condition that he'll will do so what is called live online without anything pre-recorded in an open and honest discussion. Putin is calling out Biden and saying, let's have an online live chat, old man. Let's let's do this. Let's have a discussion here. Now, this would be fascinating. I mean, you can just sort of picture this in your head. It would be on one hand, Putin being like, oh, you're too old for this. Why are you even having this conversation with me right now? I don't even know. Why are we having this talk with the old man who, who is looking like he is um, spitting up his uh, applesauce? I don't want more of this applesauce uh, man chewing uh, with the, the face that looked like he's asleep. Why am I having this? And then, and then Biden saying, you know, here I am, buddy. I'm staring you down. 
and I'm looking you right in the face, and I'm starting to fade a little bit. It's starting to get a little foggy up here, but, you know, hey, man, there I was, you know, looking at some ICBMs 20 years ago, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy Corn Pop arrives, and Corn Pop is saying, hey, man, why those are intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those are big. Those make a big boom. And I said, you're right, Corn Pop. Maybe I should make you chief of my national security. And and what was I saying again? And then Putin's going to look and be like, so this is what America, America uh, elect this uh, stupid uh, old man and makes uh, comments about me. Um, why do we think America will be able to beat China? I think I need to be better friends with China. And speaking of which, you also have a little bit of a diplomatic dust up with the Chinese. So so Putin challenges Biden to an on air debate, on air discussion. And no surprise, Biden says, you know, that's not that's not happening, uh, which would be fascinating. Now, Putin's English is not that good. So it would have had to be through a translator, but it would still would have been worth worth checking that one out. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I, I have some idea of the things that I have some guesses at the, the things that Putin would say and that might trip up Biden a little bit. The best thing he could do is be like, why are you guys so crazy? Why are the Democrats pretending like Russia is changing the course of your elections and stuff? This is delusional. This is really unhelpful. You, you shouldn't be doing this. This shouldn't be happening. Um, but it, but it is anyway. Uh, the Chinese also had a had an exchange here. I think they've got talks going on in is it in Alaska. Uh, and so there's a there's a sit down. First U.S. China meeting under Biden gets off to a rocky start. That's what that's what it says on CNBC here. The two day talks uh, conclude today. And you had uh, where was this? Yeah, Anchorage, Alaska. I was right. Okay, up, up, up in Anchorage. I've been to Anchorage. Nice town. Nice town. Doesn't really feel like a city, but it feels like a nice town. And uh, I know we're, we actually have some great Team Buck listeners up there. So here's what we get from the Chinese when faced with the overwhelming intellectual heft of the Biden foreign policy team. This is the way that they they're, they're staring at Tony Blinken and Tony Blinken is a is an elitist Democrats version of what a secretary of state should be. A guy who looks comfortable in a suit and, you know, has some tufts of gray in his hair and speaks in a kind of, you know, soft monotone and uses fancy words and never gets anything done. A, a really suave worthless bureaucrat is is that's their ideal that's what i mean a lot of diplomats are exactly that but tony blinken definitely fits into that category you know go went to all the right schools checked all those boxes on the way here's how the chinese communist party foreign affairs chief uh yang ji chi reacts to this brilliant biden foreign policy team play two We'll also discuss our deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. Uh, Well, you can't blame this problem on somebody else. I have to tell you, what I'm hearing 
is very different from what you described. Uh, I'm hearing deep satisfaction that the United States is back, that we're reengaged with our allies and partners. I'm also hearing deep concern about some of the actions your government is taking. Well, I think we thought too well of the United States. We thought that the U.S. side will follow the necessary diplomatic protocols. So for China, it was necessary that we make our position clear. So let me say here that in front of the Chinese side, the United States does not have the qualification to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength. The U.S. does not have the qualifications to speak to China from a position of strength. That is from their foreign affairs chief. I just want to know, did you ever hear anything like that from the Chinese to Trump directly at a press conference like this or to Trump's secretary of state? I don't remember anything like that. Just going to put that out there. They're basically saying, all right, you, all right, you Biden jerks. Now, there, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. Let's see how this goes for you. Uh, China is going to do donuts in the White House's front yard for the next four years while Biden gets, you know, run over by his German shepherd. I mean, the whole thing is just going to be absurd. That's what that's what we're facing. That's what's going to end up happening here. It's a partisan issue when it shouldn't be. Uh, There ought to be a bipartisan consensus to fight terrorism wherever it comes from, uh, and particularly when it comes from within. But, uh, you know, sadly, the GOP is no longer a party of an ideology. Um, It's a party of Donald Trump. And uh, Trump has made that party about, as you pointed out, vilifying the other. Uh, It is the party of aggrievement and and increasingly a party of white aggrievement uh, against everyone else. Uh, And so speaking out uh, about this domestic violence threat from white nationalism, uh, you know, some in the Republican Party in Congress feel they're speaking out against their base and the president's base. Uh, You know, I would like to think that's not the majority of their base, but they are building a party around disenfranchising people of color, uh, and they're unwilling to confront uh, their demons, uh, and that leaves us very vulnerable. Look at slimy Schiff moving around here. On on the one hand, you know, you need to hear what, what people like Schiff say. You need to hear what these Democrats are telling their constituents and saying on national TV to understand just how much disdain they really have for you, how they view you, and and also how disconnected from reality they are. We're the problem with this unity that the people that just we just lost the presidency. We just lost control of the Senate. We've we've we're still in the minority in the House. Democrats are ramming through multi-trillion dollar spending packages without without, you know, Republican votes. It's a totally one party show here. And we're supposed to what? Speak out against domestic notice. Notice the way he frames this. Why can't people just speak out against domestic terrorism? You know, white nationalist domestic terrorism. You know, it shouldn't be hard because Trump's base aren't white, white nationalist domestic terrorists. Oh, but maybe they are actually white nationalist domestic terrorists. You know, he, he takes you through this this full this full uh, circle 
of, oh, yeah, no, I, I they're not actually that. No, no, they are that. But just smearing them, hitting them from both sides, lying about it, it's awful what these Democrats do. And, you know, they're they control these institutions. They're trying to stamp out conservative ideology and beliefs wherever. And they're also uh, telling us that we need to just abandon everything. Why won't we just abandon all the things that we believe? Why won't we just change our minds on everything? You know, what's what's the problem? Why do we obstruct? Why do we stand in their way? They just want to help us, man. They just want to be friends by making us do everything they want. Obstructionism is a Democrat word for Republicans still believe stuff. Stop believing things. Stop having things that are important to you where you disagree with us. That's what obstructionism means. Or you could take advice from, I don't know, Governor Cuomo's brother about what the Republican Party should do, because he's really got our best interests at heart. Play 13. Please, Representative McCarthy, come on the show. I'll give you half an hour. Let's talk it out. I don't want to yell at you. Don't yell at me. Let's go through it. Make the case. Because the way you say it here in light of the facts would make Orwell blush. They are literally saying that they didn't say what they said. And for you to believe them over your lying eyes. How can any real Republican go for this? Not when the U.S. intelligences are telling us narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the big lie, had the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, the infamy of January 6th, and that it will almost certainly spur domestic violent extremists to try and engage in more attacks this year. When you learn that, where are you real Republicans? You need to de-Trumpify your ranks. Now, that takes us to another big problem that the right is pretending to care about. De-Trumpify your ranks. Yeah. So so we can just submit and get steamrolled more by the Democrats, right? There, there are a few lessons that Trump showed us in politics today that are invaluable. A few lessons. One of them is they don't seek to convert you. That the left is not trying. They're not trying to be your friend. They want to. They want to destroy or and, and or control you. That's what the real purpose. They're they're not looking to make you feel okay and bring us all together. Has there been any unity from the Biden administration whatsoever? No, none. It's, it's just one big spitting in the face of Republicans, and and they're pretty proud of it. Really, they don't even try to hide it. Um, but we're going to take advice on what to do with the Republican Party from Chris Cuomo, really, or from any Democrat, for that matter, who has been a part of all the efforts to tear down everything about conservatives, to talk about this threat of white, oh, the white nationalist terrorists, oh, they're going to get us any moment. Get a grip, Libs. Get a grip. I am going to say something that President Biden refuses to say. There is a crisis on our southern border. It's humanity humanitarian crisis. It's a public health crisis, a national security crisis. It is a Biden border crisis, and it is spiraling out of control with no signs of ending. When candidate Biden told migrants in June, immediately surge to the border, I knew his immigration policies would be bad. But I did not think it would be this bad. 
I did not think that would mean 13,000 unaccompanied minors in the U.S. custody. I did not think it would mean moving them from border facilities across the country, 1,000 of them to Midland, Texas, 3,000 to Dallas, and likely to more cities tomorrow. They've been focusing on the on the child detention issue at the border because that number is so huge and so out of control, 13,000 unaccompanied minors. And just understand this. I mean, these their, their parents are making the decision here to send their children into this situation. I'm sorry. That's it's reckless and it's dangerous. They're, they're putting kids at risk here. So, you know, I, I understand people can make they can say, oh, but it's because they're fleeing such a desperate circumstance or you know what, whatever. But we also are allowed to say this needs to stop. This is dangerous for the kids and parents are putting their kids in this situation. It's, it's not the U.S. government that's dropping off, you know, 14 year olds and 12 year olds at the border. That's not what's happening. But it's not only kids. It's not only kids. And what we're finding out is that this is now exactly as I've been telling you, as close to an open border as you can really get, because if you have a family unit that shows up, they're going to be they're going to be let uh, let into the United States. They're not being turned away. They're not being told to stop. And the fundamental problem here is that the Biden administration, what they really don't want people to know is what the percentage is of the people who are showing up at the border who are led into the United States. They're very focused on the conditions. They're very focused on things like what's going on in custody. And in sure, I mean, here's a piece from from ABC News from today. That gives you a sense of of what the media's focus is, is very much on the this is a humanitarian crisis, as in the people showing up at the border are in a rough circumstance being trafficked in many cases, but also when they're in custody. Here you go. Early last year, quote, as border agents in Texas escorted an international news crew into what authorities say is the most remote area along the entire southwest border. Someone in the group noticed a man sitting in a ravine hidden behind brush. Pedro Diego Francisco, a Guatemalan migrant, had been there for three days with no way to call for help as he suffered through temperatures that fell to 18 degrees at night. A smuggler brought him and other migrants to the desolate piece of land on their way in the United States, but the entire group abandoned Diego Francisco after he injured his leg. He was wearing every piece of clothing he possessed to try and keep warm, according to the Border Patrol statement. When agents carried Diego Francisco to safety, he declared in Spanish... They have saved my life. God repay them. I thought I was going to die. Stories like that are becoming more common as the U.S. braces for what Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said this week would be the highest number of individuals stopped by Border Patrol along the southwest border in 20 years. National attention recently has focused more on the record numbers of unaccompanied children detained along the southwest border. But that's only part of the increasingly grim story as current and former law enforcement officials described it to ABC News. These people are desperate, a recently retired Border Patrol agent said. I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. Okay, so this is all, end of the, end of the quote there. This is all about the focus, the media attention is all on telling. You know, they're, they're trying to find a way to, to, they have to cover this. We all know this, this is a huge story, really the biggest story going on in the country right now. Maybe after I mean, lockdowns is a continuing huge story, but this is the biggest news item in many ways. And they want the focus to be entirely on 
people who uh, are suffering and their circumstances, creating an emotional appeal for these migrants. That's what the focus is. What they don't want to talk about. And by the way, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it's that's bad. I'm not I'm not opposed to, you know, sympathy for the people. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that Border Patrol uh, saved the life of this man in this ABC news piece. And Border Patrol saves a lot of lives, you know. When they're not saying Border Patrol is evil and racist or abolish ICE, you know, Democrats occasionally should take note of the fact that our, our law enforcement personnel along the southern border actively save lives. They give life saving medicine, medical assistance uh, to, to people who are coming to the border, who are showing up illegally. They give food to them. They take care of them. I mean, I'll never forget being at the at the border in uh, the border in El Paso. And Border Patrol agents there telling me about how when there were migrant children showing up, these guys were going and Border Patrol agents do not make a lot of money. They were going and buying with their own money, buying diapers and formula and toys and blankets to bring so that any kids who were part of these family units who were showing up uh, were were going to be fed and warm and, and be pretty, you know, in reasonable circumstances, at least safe and and nourished circumstances while they were held in detention. Remember, they're being held in detention usually in those cases for two days, three days, something like that. Um, and that's where we are again now. They're often being held for for less than seventy two hours. And the, you know, but that that story doesn't really get told very much about what the men and women of Border Patrol are doing to try to help people on the border, try to keep everybody safe here. You know, they're trying to enforce the laws of the United States while also being. Uh, being decent and humane people, and I think they do a very good job of that. But the the big problem here, and this is what doesn't get the attention, this is what you won't hear from the Biden administration people, the big focus in all this should be on, does the Biden administration want to shut down this surge of migrants from coming into the United States? Are they seeking to prevent? This, this is the big issue. Do they want to stop 100,000 people a month from coming into the United States. Yes or no. Now, what they'll say is, oh, but they have a they have a, a right to asylum. We've been through this before. This is a fraud. They the reason they started coming again is because they got rid of the checks in the system of, of you could say the asylum integrity measures in the system like remain in Mexico. They got rid of those. Um, and, and that meant that migrants and the cartels that bring them realized, okay, now we can pull the scam off again and everyone starts showing up again. Biden administration needs to answer the question, do they do they fundamentally uh, want this to stop? And I think we all would know very quickly. The answer is no. They do not want this to end. They do not want this to be all over. And uh, that's because, as as I've said to you so many times, they are creating future Democrat voters in their minds. And they and they largely are. I mean, a, a vast majority. Uh, think about this. If you're a migrant who arrived or you, you're if you're a migrant who arrived or you're you have family members or there are family members of migrants who have arrived during this period with the Democrat administration, I, I think it is pretty clear that, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that you're going to vote Democrat, right? I mean, you you owe your status in the United States, the Democrat Party, the Biden administration. So they know that. So they don't want it to stop. And 
what what this all really is is turning on at this point. What what's making all the difference is whether or not uh, whether or not there are some Democrats who are going to stand in the way of the amnesty bills that are already making their way through the House. They're already they're already in process. Are there some Democrats who say, hold on a second, we're not we're not at a place where we're going to vote for a full scale amnesty. We're not at a place where we're even going to give we're even going to give amnesty to a few million people. I, I disagree with some of my Republican friends on this. I, I know people on the GOP side who say that Manchin and Cinema and, and some others are just unwilling to go along with any real amnesty plan. I, I think they're I think they're giving them way too much credit for backbone. I'm, I'm not sure I would go to that place. I'm not sure I believe that at all, because the pressure that will mount as a result of this crisis and of the Democrats recognizing the progressive left recognizing what an opportunity this is uh, they're they're going to twist a lot of arms and there's going to be a whole lot i mean it's it's going to turn into really joe manchin you're not going to vote for amnesty you're a racist and and that's going to be amplified across all the media and remember what do politicians care about more than anything else what is the single most important thing to a politician in america today themselves their reputations their prospects their wealth that is what motivates them don't have, and it's true of both parties. Don't ever forget that. Teen Vogue is a a dumb publication, and uh, you know Anna Winter and the, and the people that are behind these these uh, these fashion slash celebrity rags that are out there. You know, she's the the editor in chief of Vogue. Uh, I, I think that they're damaging to culture and society. I, I think that they're act, they're actually really just. The, they're, they're almost like the paparazzi. I mean, they're, they just feed off of things, off of um, insecurities and, and celebrity obsession in, in society. And I, I think the whole thing is just kind of meh, not, not a fan. I know, I don't read Vogue. I don't know about fashion. I wear sweatshirts whenever I can. Okay, that's all true. That's all, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take the hits. I'm not a fashion guy. And uh, I'm not somebody who can speak with, with knowledge about this stuff. I, I've only really I've only really watched The Devil Wears Prada, so I get a lot from from that movie. Producer Mark, have you seen that one? Who hasn't? Right, every guy has seen that movie. I don't know why we've all seen it. A lot of you are saying I haven't seen it, Buck. Yeah, really though. The missus didn't say, "Oh, look what's on TV," and you were like, "Oh, I don't want to." Oh, look at that. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying it's possible. It's possible you you saw it. Um, but here, here's what's going on. You got a, a big to do about a, a cancellation of a young um, minority uh, writer, editor, whatever, Alexi McCammond. Now, you, you may recall the name because Alexi McCammond, she hasn't been in the game for very long. She's 27, uh, but she is uh, telegenic. Um, I think, right, I'm allowed, to, I'm allowed to say that and not get, like, me too. You're allowed to say telegenic, I think. And she's, uh, you know, she's 27 years old. She was brought up in the whole in the whole situation with that guy, T.J. Ducklow, who got fired from the White House or resigned before getting fired, who called uh, Tara Palmieri, a journalist for Politico, and threatened her career if if she wrote a piece about T.J. Ducklow's relationship sexual relationship with alexi mcgammon uh so she's covering the white house he works in the white house and they were you know 
doing the things that people do and right family safe right family family show producer mark that's the way i gotta say it special and fun fun time there we go i had to i hadn't remembered that i said that uh but that's that's a that's another way of putting it special special fun fun time so they had some of that and anyway he got fired from the white house this was recent remember this was a whole like gossip kind of story and he, he got fired from the white house she now has been fired. This is the reason she's in the headlines today. Alexa McGammon, Teen Vogue editor, resigns. I'm sorry, resigns because of racist tweets she wrote when she was 17. And I got to tell you, I had to look around to find the racist tweets. I said, well, where are they? And this is what was written up. This was from um, uh, I think it might have been the Daily Beast, but don't don't quote me on the quote because I'm I, the quote is real. I forget what my sourcing is here, but it doesn't really matter. I think this is correct. Uh, quote, according to social media post, McCammon's old tweets dating back to 2011 included, quote, now Googling how to wake up. How, I'm sorry. Now Googling how to not wake up with swollen Asian eyes and quote, give me a two out of 10 on my chem problem. Cross out all of my work and don't explain what I did wrong. Thanks a lot, stupid Asian T.A., you're great, end quote. Those are the only tweets that I that I was able to find. of her. And I'm, there may be more. I'm, look, I'm not an Alexi McAmmon expert. Uh, so there's that. But those are the only ones that I was able to find. And she was she was pushed out of her job at Teen. She's the editor in chief at Teen Vogue. She was pushed out of her job there because of those tweets from 10 years ago. And what's fascinating to see is, is the, the reaction among conservatives really varies because on the one hand, on the one side of it, you have people who are saying, um, you know, you get what you deserve on the left. The left eats its own and, and they have to suffer the consequences or else this will never stop. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate that point of view. I think that's true. But on the other side, and I come down, on, I, I believe in this as well. This just shows, first of all, I mean, this is madness. This is madness. They would absolutely do it to a conservative much faster and much more viciously. I mean, they they fired Kevin Williamson from the Atlantic or, you know, I, I keep saying fired that, you know, asked to resign, whatever. They got rid of Kevin Williamson for the Atlantic for a tweet he made about abortion where he was trying to be a little bit provocative. And they fired him for that. You know, they, they keep doing these things. And you just have to wonder, at what point does the left understand that they're ruining everything? They really they ruin everything. I mean, the, the, the left is a moral, ideological, spiritual cancer on American society now. They're just destroying everything. And they're in control of a lot. So it's getting we're, we're more aware of it now. We're, we're more able to see the kind of destruction they can do. And they're making America worse for everybody, including people who are leftists. It's just a question of when the crocodile eats them. Right. Uh, Churchill said, you know, that that uh, that Chamberlain was feeding the crocodile, hoping that it ate ate the UK last. I mean, that's what leftists are all doing. They cheer and they're gleeful when conservatives get ripped up, destroyed, ruined for the most minor infraction or even sometimes no infraction. But they can create a narrative of one. And then sometimes on the left, they get fed into the, you know, they get fed into the machinery, too. And they just say, OK, well, it's not me. So this is this is the price we pay for wokeness. This is the price we pay for wokeness. Um, 
they won't stop. This is central to their ideology. Destroying people as shows of, of purity in public and the virtue signaling and the vanity and the sense of, of, of joy that leftists get from this stuff is unfortunately very powerful. And the only way to stop this is to defeat them, to take power from them. That's the only way this ends. As promised, we have our friend Ann Coulter joining us now. Always insightful, always worth hearing from Ann, 13-time New York Times bestselling author. And go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest. Ann, great to have you. Good to talk to you, Buck Sexton. So my favorite thing from this week is all the, uh, all the Jen Psaki, Psaki bomb moments where she keeps doing the, it's not a crisis, it's not a crisis. And then finally people started pointing out well, it's definitely an emergency because you are literally sending the Federal Emergency Management Agency to go help. <laughs> no, they really wish Americans would not notice what's happening at the border because, of course, um, many, many liberals, not all, some are just stupid and don't realize what liberalism stands for, really just hate America, hate Americans, and they want to bring all of Latin America here so that we're not America anymore. We can be, we can be El Salvador. Um, Mexico is closest. That's, that's clearly the easiest. Um, and so all of Latin America is pouring in, and <laughs> they give little speeches saying, well, there was that funny one last week where at first she, the, the spokesman said, the border is not closed. And then in Spanish, the border is not closed. And then someone speaks to her and she says, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, the border is closed. Sorry, <laughs> when I speak in English, I'm <laughs> supposed to say it's closed. When I speak in Spanish, I'm supposed to say wide open. <laughs> Come sign up for welfare. I mean, Ed, if, you were, if you were scripting this out and you've been on the immigration uh, issue for a long time, I was telling everybody right before you came on to join us, and I think folks should be reminded that you, with Adios America, your points, your argument, the notion of a wall, Donald Trump read that book before he became president of the United States. This used to be something that was known and talked about. So you've been ahead on this one. But if you were scripting this out, we have uh, we have people who are actually showing up to the southern border right now with Biden. Let us in T-shirts on. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I think this is where it really does make a difference that Biden is a senile dementia patient. I don't think if, if he knew what was going on, um, he would be so in favor of this. Um, it's funny, we had, you know, for the Trump administration, our president was Jared Kushner. For the Biden administration, our president is Ron Klain. Um, and so we have, you know, very progressive Democrats who, who are getting, just going through the wish list um, and Biden, who does have, you know, 40-year, 50-year history as a moderate Democrat, this is not moderate at all. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how much, um, how much solace we can take in the fact that, that, that this is going to, make, I suspect, make it very difficult for the Democrats in midterm elections and very difficult four years from now. Um, Americans over and over again for 20 years in polls have said they want, they do not want more immigration. Forget illegal immigration. No, that they absolutely want stopped. Um, as I noted in this week's column, I'm surprised anyone even took a poll on this or admitted it publicly. But of Biden's 28 executive orders, 
in the first few weeks he was in office. Um, five were on immigration, and those five on immigration are the, among the seven least popular of all of Biden's executive orders. This isn't popular. I, I mean, we just put this preposterous creature, Donald Trump, in the White House because he ran on the issue that Americans have been begging politicians to deal with. There's, there's never been such a gigantic divide where the public is on one side and the politicians on the other. And why is that? Democrats think they're going to get the votes. Um, they might not be so confident about that um, after the 2020 election when Hispanics, you know, it's still a majority for the Democrats, but gigantic moves to the Republicans. I don't think... I don't think Hispanics are down with the whole Black Lives Matter and and burn down my store, um, beat me up and steal my money, uh, then release more criminals. I'm not sure they're they're down with that part of the, of the Democratic progressive philosophy. And then Republicans want just ever ever more foreign immigration because their donors want want the cheap labor. And so the objective of politicians has always been, which the media has generally complied with, don't talk about immigration. Do this in the dark of night. Um, the Amer- don't tell the American people what we're doing. They'll thank us later. Um, they, they, they did it, in, I mean, not to this extent, but very much during, during the Clinton administration, right before the 1996 election. Um, this, this was finally exposed by the Washington Post after the 1996 election. Um, they kept the, the, it was the INS back then, they kept it open 24-7, the processing applications, processing applications, it was a specific plan, get a million new Democratic voters in time for the 1996 election. They, they, they made citizens of convicted felons, convicted murderers, they just blew off all of the, all of the <laughs> cannot be a convicted felon requirements 24-7, the processing, 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 Immigration applications, it was, it was just so, so Clinton would have another million Democratic voters in 1996. Yeah, and I've been speaking to, to people that I, I know in ICE and, and, uh, and contacts in Border Patrol, and I've been saying, so we keep getting told that, that, not, that they turn people away. I said, well, who, who gets turned away? So if, if you arrive yep. as a family unit, what are the chances that you will be processed and led into the interior of the United States with a please show up at a court hearing maybe in two years? We don't even know the backlog. People forget the backlog got to be about 900,000 cases. And that was back in 2018. This is happening even faster. The backlog is going to be absolutely enormous. They're going to have five years at least before some of them are going to actually have to show up for these hearings based on previous history. And said, well, let's say they, they show up for the hearing. For one thing, they're endless hearings. Those go on and on. At that point, they've had 17 anchor babies. They've married a, a quote, American citizen, another anchor baby. But let's just say we'll take the one in a million case where there's finally an order of deportation. Eh, they get to stay anyway. Yeah, they don't, they don't even actually get high enough on the list of deportation for the matter. We're, we're speaking to Ann Coulter, everybody, com for her latest column, uh, obviously best-selling author, Adios America, her book on immigration, very prescient for this moment if you want to check that one out. GOP moves to save Biden, and in your column, we want amnesty too. What the heck are these Republicans doing? It's unbelievable. It's like it's a flora disease. Um for just you know, for a, a a short recent history, why so many of us um, loathe and detest Marco Rubio? He had been not very good on immigration in the Florida legislature when he ran for the United States Senate in Florida. 
um, many, you know, local talk radio hosts like Joyce Coffin got him on the record. He would not push amnesty when he got to the Senate. On the Joyce Coffin show, he swore on his mother's life. Um, his big, his big pitch was, no, no, I've learned my lesson, no amnesty. So, okay, fine, fine, we'll, we elect you to the Senate. Marco Rubio gets to the United States Senate. My first bill, amnesty, um, which was, of course, at the time supported by Fox News and most of the major talk radio hosts. It was a very dark time for America. Now we have Rick Scott, <laughs> the other senator from Florida. And, um, by the way, if you're thinking, oh, Florida, maybe it's because there are a lot of Hispanics. Number one, Hispanics who are here legally do not want amnesty. They, they don't want their, their deadbeat brother-in-law sleeping on the couch. They don't want their wages to go down. Quite obviously, immigration is not a big issue for Hispanics. Wages, um, you know, increasing various government benefits, that sort of thing. Um, safety, keeping their neighborhood safe, that's point one. Point two, yeah, okay, but the Hispanics in Florida are um, the largest two groups are Cubans and Puerto Ricans. Guess who doesn't need amnesty? <laughs> Cubans and Puerto Ricans. So I think it's just Republicans are the stupid party for a reason, and Rick Scott is floating this bill that, that will offer amnesty. Of course, his is limited in a, a completely fake way. Do not fall for it. Just for the dreamers, just for the people who, they, the kids, they were brought here as children. We don't punish children. No, no, no. Once you have an amnesty, as I describe in the column, um, nobody's going to check when you came here. Nobody's going to check what your age is. Nobody's going to check if you're a co convicted felon, as we found out during the Clinton administration. And 100% the, uh, the, 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 the alleged requirement must have high school degree or, or GED. Um, I promise you that will be waived in every case. Um, and I yeah, I mean, and, and if anybody is going to get deported, the, the the quickest thing, and this the word does get out among among groups. I mean, this is why when I was down at the border during the first crisis like this, it was all uh, I I am fleeing credible fear in my country. People are all saying the exact same, or rather, I'm I'm fleeing a credible threat of violence yes. in my country. People are saying yes. what they have been coached to say by the cartels. If if you do get to any amnesty, to your point. Then when it comes time for someone to get deported, what do they say? Oh, I'm covered under the amnesty. I right. want my I want my due process. I, I want to go into court. I mean, this is gonna this is gonna take twenty years. And we already saw the Obama administration was trying to give work permits, not just for DACA, but for DAPA, the parents of arrivals. Oh, and yeah. I've been joking around with people saying, How long before it goes DACA, then DAPA, and then, you know, DACA again, which would be the cousins of arrivals, and then you know, all of a sudden you're at you're at millions and millions of people, which I think is the whole plan. Do you think they actually can get legislation through on this, though? This is what I keep going back and forth with on people. I think if Democrats are smart, I mean, if they're evil and smart, and I think they're pretty evil, uh, what they do is they break the filibuster on this one if they have to. I think this is where they do it. Um, I don't think they need to. I mean, it is. Well, that's even more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, Biden's Biden's immigration bill is so heinous. I think it would be very difficult for any Democrat to openly vote for this. But look, the head of, of HHS is, is virulently anti-American, um, would like to replace Americans with, with people from another country, would like to destroy our history. Um, when asked about the cartels um, um, forming at, after Biden was elected, getting ready to, to, to swarm the border by, of all people, Mitt Romney during the hearing. What was Mayorkas's, that's a HHS secretary, um, or, or rather Homeland Security. Yeah, DHS. Uh, secretary. 
Thanks, that's an easier way of saying it. Thank you, Department of Homeland Security. Um, He said, America is a nation of immigrants. So you have no history, America. You have no founding fathers. You have no no tradition of the rule of law. Nope, we're replacing it, and it's going to be pedal to the metal. And so, no, they don't, they don't need to pass any laws. Look at what, what's happening. You know, there's an expression in law, possession is, is nine-tenths of the law. Yeah, well, being here is nine-tenths of our immigration policy, and they're just, just dragging them in, dragging them in. By the way, it's not just the cartels coaching them. Um, it is NGOs. There are NGOs that do this, too. I know that. Well, there are groups in America because, again, liberals either are stupid and don't realize what, what liberalism is about, um, but, but the core faith of liberalism is to hate the United States of America. Um, and they have scripts. They will tell people, for example, it's been written up in The New Yorker. It's been written up in The New York Times. Um, they have tape recordings they listen to. They will lie about what country they're from. They will lie about what, whether they were raped, whether they were tortured, whether my father was shot. You know, their families are middle class. They've traveled around the world. I cover a number of these cases and, and cite The New Yorker and The New York Times expose on it in Adios America. Yeah, I was down at the border end, and they told me that a 33-year-old at first successfully claimed to be 17, which is which is quite a move. That's that's quite a quite a, a, a thing to pull off. Ann Coulter, everybody, go to annecoulter.com for a column on this. And hopefully, there'll still be a country left by the time we talk again. But thank you for joining us. Good to talk to you, Buck Sexton. Bye bye. The NYPD, where I worked for a short while, and people always ask, how do you work the NYPD and work? For the CIA. Well, I worked at the NYP- uh, NYPD while I was still a CIA employee. Is, is how that actually works. So I, I, I kind of worked for both in a sense. It's a long story, but the NYPD um, should confront hateful conduct, even if it's not a crime. This is according to Bill de Blasio. You you cannot make this stuff up now, folks. Now I, I understand there's a there's a a moral panic now across the country where we're supposed to believe that there is a a sudden Trump inspired white supremacist, uh, white supremacist hatred wave for Asian Americans that's going across the country. And if you actually look at the cases, if you look at what's really going on in, in many of these instances, it's actually um, non white offenders attacking Asian Americans, but we are still to believe that it's a white supremacist problem. Anyway, the, the, the Democrats, the libs, they are doing what they always do, which is trying to find a way to make this uh, fit into a political narrative that benefits their side. But but also to come up with an opportunity to make this about how they're the good people. And that's why Bill de Blasio now, who is the I mean, is he the second worst mayor in the country? I know our Portland audience. We've got a great Portland audience here on the Buck Sexton show. Uh, sometimes they write in and they tell us, guys, guys, look, you can have a lot. New York is the largest city. New York is the, you know, the smelliest city. New York, whatever. Right. You can have these different titles. But when Ted Wheeler is your mayor, as he is in the city of Portland, y- you you don't get to say you got the worst mayor. And I I concede that Ted Wheeler is. Is almost in this special class of awful. It's it's hard to compete with uh, with Wheeler, but Blasio is certainly up there. Here here's what he says. Uh, here's what he said just yesterday. Uh, this is from the New York Post. 
quote, cops should confront people accused of hurtful behavior, even if the behavior doesn't rise to the level of a crime. Asked if the NYPD and city could be doing more to thwart the tr- uh, troubling surge in hate crimes. Uh, de Blasio suggested that there could be warnings given as a last resort. Play clip seven, please. One of the things officers are trained to do is to give warnings. If someone has done something wrong, but not rising to a criminal level, it's perfectly appropriate for an NYPD officer to talk to them to say that was not appropriate. And if you did that on a higher level, that would be a crime. And I think that has a educating impact on people. I think it has a sobering impact that we need. That's why we need every report. By the way, if something might be a crime, if it's not 100% clear, the NYPD is going to investigate. I assure you, if an NYPD officer calls you or shows up at your door to ask about something you did, that makes people think twice, and we need that. We Also, in the reform report that we have put together in these last weeks, based on hearing communities, uh, we put in there a new policy to widen the definition of what would qualify as hate crimes and to widen the tracking, uh, improve the tracking of hate crimes. This is a problem, and let's be blunt and honest, it's a problem that emerged particularly in the last four years in this city and in this country. We all know that the forces of hatred were unleashed by Donald Trump. That is not a news flash. I mean, give me a break. Go, go look at some of the hate crimes that he's talking about and look at the perpetrator and tell me if you think this is really about Donald Trump. Uh, but this is amazing, too. You're going to have people now. De Blasio thinks people are going to go up to the cops. Um, excuse me, officer. Someone said something that was really mean to me. And the officer is going to be like, all right, you come here. All right, get over here. Are you? Excuse me, sir. Did you say, did you flip the bird? Did you extend a middle finger toward this other other person? That's not nice. I would like you now, please. I would like you now to, to shake hands. And and be and please be nice to each other or you're going to get a timeout. I can't arrest you, but you're going to get a timeout. Is that really what we're going to have the NYPD doing now? <laughs> I mean, this is a this is a city where people exchange expletives on the street for cutting each other off like they're exchanging a friendly greeting on their way to the grocery store. But we're going to have people telling the cops when someone does something not criminal, but kind of mean. Wow, de Blasio. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. It is time for the Roll Call, everybody. So thank you so much for uh, writing in, uh, joining us here, and and being a part of the show. It's very easy to do. Just go to facebook.com slash Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And let's see, what else do we have for... Uh, oh, Instagram, you can send us a direct... If you're not following Buck Sexton on Instagram, please do. Um, I am uh, throttled on Twitter. So that means that I'm trying to use other platforms more. My reach on Twitter, uh, I am targeted because I, I say I speak the truth about Fauci and lockdowns. So now I'm essentially on an, on an algorithm-based list. Uh, where people can't actually reach their their normal. The people that want to see my stuff on Twitter are, aren't seeing it because Twitter is 
a left wing, as you know, a left wing organization that is trying to stack the deck in favor, stack the deck in favor of the left by changing the political conversation surreptitiously too. They're, they're not even they're not even honest about it. That's the other part of it that I think you, you always need to remember. They're not honest about what they're doing. It's not like this is just something that, oh, they're they're private companies. I mean, really, they're engaged in a form in a form of fraud. So with that in mind, um, producer Mark, we want to just have have a moment for you to tell everybody, what do you plan on this weekend, big guy? What do you got going on? Uh, I think just uh, more packing as usual. That's what my Wh- life is. Should When's the move date? Uh, not sure yet. Sometime in May, probably. So you're packing up like preemptively, like yes. get real well, like, early. We, we are moving. It's just a matter of when. No. Gotcha. Gotcha. But you have, have you, you haven't closed yet? No. How's the how's the uh, the whole process coming along? Because, you know, I saw uh, Snow Princess made me watch a show last. And I mean, made me like almost tied my hands behind my back and and like threatened to tickle me unless I agreed kind of made me. You know what I mean? Sure. Made me watch a show called um, Mortgage or Mortgage or Marriage or something like that. I think. Yeah. It's a, so couples decide, are they going to get married or they're going to buy a, a, with, with a wedding? Or they're going to buy a house. And I sit here and I'm like, Grumpy Buck says, obviously, if the choice is between getting the house you want and having a wedding that's some kind of a big, expensive celebration, I feel like that's an easy choice. Apparently, I'm wrong. A lot of people choose choose the wedding. Yeah, I mean, if I had my choice, I would probably have chosen the house. But um, happy wife, happy life, Buck. I, I also understand this part of it, that that apparently there are a lot of ladies for whom the prospect of the big wedding with all the friends and family is a thing that they have been looking forward to for a long time. And if that thing does not happen, then there is a there is no tickling in your future. It gets it's, no. you know, it's bad. It's bad. Listen, I the, my wedding was the best day of my life. I don't regret it. But uh, financially, what's the logical decision? If you had to choose, it would be the house. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. You had a good wedding, though. So congrats on that one. Yes. I was at producer Mark's wedding. That wedding, that wedding was fun. Um, good food, good music. Buck, Buck was busting out the fancy dance moves. That's how he we was. get down. Yes. Yeah. Marky, Mark, one, one day, Mark, because because he's a, a good and loyal right hand man on the Buck Sexton show. We have not yet gone gone out with the the video of Buck busting out the funky moves. It does exist, though. So if you guys are all if Team Buck is excellent about uh, sharing the show, passing the buck to people, maybe like sometime this summer, just for kicks, we'll put it up on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. People can see because once you see once they see those funky moves, producer Mark, they're they're not going to know what hit him. Yeah, we'll put it that way, but I'm going to leave that decision up to you because if I do it, you might get mad. So. That's correct. Exactly. Yeah, no, we got we got we got to wait on that one. This is like the ru- the rule I have with Snow, with uh, with Snow Princess. I have people have been asking why don't uh, you know why haven't you put up more photos of her? People have seen I put up uh, put up a few recently. Um, one is that I I tend to avoid putting up too much for my my private life just because there are um, a lot of crazy people out there who don't like conservative commentators. So that's a thing. Um, but also. Uh, I have to get her I have to get her a- approval and she you know what I mean? I have to get approval for photos, which, but I completely understand that because I I hate it when people and this happens to me in media sometimes, too. You know, there'll be a, we'll, we'll do some kind of a promotional thing where there'll be a whole bunch of photos taken of me and other talent at a, at a media company. 
and someone will just pick some random photo of you where you look like, you know, you're you're passing out as you're standing up and then they use that. Very annoying. Very annoying. Or a happens beard all the free time. photo. What's up? Or a beard free photo from. You. Oh, man, there's still all these beard free photos that are floating out there. And there's, you know, there's photos of like, like skinny buck, slightly chubby buck, chubbiest buck. Like, you know, it's, there's all there's all kinds of mishmash out there. I like to have one, you know, current presentation. You know, I like to keep brand uh, brand consistency out there. But anyway, um, so y- your your weekend is going to involve uh, not watching marriage or mortgage because I guess you already made that decision. Any fun plans to tell the folks about? Well, no, nothing really. But I do have a new reason to hate Governor Cuomo, if you'd like. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously. Exactly. So yesterday he did a he's inexplicably is doing press conferences and just acting like everything is normal. Uh, and they announced that the Mets and Yankees are going to allowed to have twenty percent of the stadium full. Yeah, big celebration, whatever. But the thing I got most angry at, and the reason I want him to be impeached more than anything now, he had a mask. With a Mets logo on one side and a Yankees logo on the other side, inexcusable. He should be out of office immediately. How did that? How does that even happen? I mean, I'm sure. Do they even sell that? He, he must, must have, have made, made that. Yeah, he must have constructed this. And he was like laughing about it and saying, "Oh, this is great." No, no baseball fan, no Met or Yankee fan is okay with that. And there are people who wear like half Met, half Yankee jerseys. They shouldn't even be allowed in the stadiums. I mean, I don't know. It's like mixing whole milk in your beer or something. It's just yeah. not done. It's I, I not don't know. done. And he's the governor of New York. I mean, you'd think he would learn something, but clearly not. Well, he's he's in a desperate circumstance right now because he's in so much, so much trouble, so much going on here. So I guess he's he's at that point where there's no such thing as pandering that is too blatant. There's no such thing as as being too much of a politician. He's like he's like oh, I like uh, I like both teams. I like the Mets and I like the Yankees because the Yankees win more, but the Mets are now owned by a billionaire. You know he's kind of he's playing on both sides. I wouldn't be surprised if you know the next time he shows up and he's got a mask with with Mets, Yankees, Islanders, Rangers, Giants, Jets. You know just go all in, just try to get all the sports fans on your side. But you know what's funny is as as you point out, producer Mark. By doing so, he actually ticks off all the sports fans. Yeah, now the sports fans who don't really care about politics hate him. He makes Bill uh, de Blasio look good. Yeah. Huh. I, this is what I've been saying. Bill de Blasio is the biggest beneficiary from the the Cuomo debacle. Um, so there you have it, man. Bill de Blasio. What a, what a weirdo. All right. I, I, I do want to get to some of our... Um, by the way, with producer Mark, when's the... Uh, so there's, there's outdoor games now? Uh, yeah, uh, April 1st, the Yankees open the season at home. The Mets open the same day, but they'll be in D.C. And then April is 8th, it, the first game. Is it field. feasible to get Mets tickets? Um, so the way they're doing it, both teams, it seems like season ticket holders will have first crack. Um, and then everyone else, if there's enough available. So it really depends how many season ticket holders want to go to the games. If they decline, then they might have tickets available. There's always a secondary market as well, but... They're requiring a PCR test before you're allowed, a negative PCR test or proof of vaccination to get in the building. That's not the Mets and Yankees. That's Cuomo doing it. Oh, my gosh. Because I was going to say, I mean, I I you a sporting event, but since the weather's getting nice, maybe instead of hockey, we do Mets. You never go to a Met game in April. It's right on the water there. Outdoor stadium, Buck, you'd be freezing. You freeze? Oh, that sounds... At least May. All right, all right. So maybe we do the hockey. Okay. 
let's get into it here. How much more time do we have with hockey? Uh, not that much time. It's only 10% capacity. Maybe next year for hockey. I think baseball. <sighs> All right. Fair enough. Richard writes in, Buck, happy Friday. I really like Cocaine Mitch's filibuster speech. I wish the GOP Republicans would take it one step further. One day a week, the GOP should shut it all down. They should delay the opening. Uh, quorum call as often as they can. Make Senate staff read the previous day's journal. Make them read the full bills. Perform roll call votes for every motion and every vote. Grind it all to a halt. Remind the Dems what chaos will ensue if they give in to the insane left. Our founders did not want a straight-up democracy. Athens fell after 362 years. Sparta was more stable and lasted 708 years. Sparta had two kings and an upper and lower house. Sounds familiar, right? The GOP needs to hold the line with their shields high. Richard, we got a lot going on here, man. Um, yeah, I mean, direct democracy or abs- absolute democracy is not... I mean, we, we don't have that. That has not been the uh, history of democracies. In fact, in ancient Greece, was a very small percentage of the population overall or, or, or a, when you add it in, because ancient Greece was also a, a slave state uh, and women obviously couldn't vote and on, only property holders of a certain class, a certain echelon in Athens, for example, could vote. It was not, it wasn't you know, universal suffrage. So our notion of the, the cradle of, of Western civilization and, and ancient democracy is, you know, one man, one vote. Well, not not really within certain very, very strict confines. It was one man, one vote. Uh, All righty. We got Dave. Hey, Buck, I've been a fan since you started filling in for Glenn. It's been great to see your show evolve over the years. One of the favorite parts of the show is roll call when new listeners chime in. It's great to hear your show is growing. You and, produce, uh, you and producer Mark provide great content, even though he doesn't know about the talking heads. Then again, I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, he's from New Jersey. And those folks only know about Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi. Dave, we love you. But I think producer Mark is about to uh, issue a couple of rejoinders. I think the most offensive thing you can say to somebody from New York is that they're from New Jersey. Producer Mark is from Queens slash Long Island, which if you're from New York City, you can call Strong Island, which is kind of just poking the Long Island people a little bit. But I don't even like being called from Long Island because Queens and Long Island are a different place. True. Yeah, yeah, I'm not from New Jersey. Please never accuse me that of get uh, of that again. Yeah, I only live here right now, and then I'm going back. It's a very weird situation I'm in. How 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 would you describe your your exile in New Jersey overall? Well, bas- basically, I tried to leave Long Island, and then the pandemic made it so I have to go back. That's the best way I can describe it. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as for as for Springsteen and Bon Jovi, if you only get to keep one producer, Mark Bon Jovi, that's the right call, obviously. So I can't even begin to mess with that. Living on a prayer. If you're drunk, it's one o'clock in the morning and you want to sing at a crowded bar. I think the only competition for it is Journeys Don't Stop Believing for a song that doesn't matter if you can't sing, doesn't matter how out of tune you are. It's a beautiful thing to let it rip with the smell of stale beer and Cuervo silver all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a couple Bon Jovi songs that you put them on at a bar late at night. Everyone's singing it. Totally true. Huh. Roll call continues. And if you want to send us your thoughts and be a part of the show, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or on Instagram, send us a message. The email is team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. 
gmail.com. Adam writes, Dear Buck and producer Angry Cat. I think he means Grumpy Cat, but maybe, you know, maybe your producer. I get it. Yeah. Oh. Producer Grumpy Cat will say. He's not angry. He's a little grumpy sometimes. Greetings from KFAB Omaha. Michigan is not the Midwest. If anything, it is the Northeast. Shields high. Whoa. Nebraska laying down the law here for KFAB and, and saying, uh, sorry, Michigan is basically a part of the Northeast. I mean, I think geographically that's not technically correct, but I know what he's I know what he's saying. You know, is there a word for where Michigan is? No, but it was on this show that I learned that there's something called a, a, a yupper an up, like a yupper or an upper or whatever. Or a yupper. Yeah. Remember, it was like for the upper peninsula people in Michigan, which is basically Canada. So, yeah. yeah why don't we call it Canada? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't. I know. Send send that. Direct those emails to producer Mark. All right, Brian, here we go. Hey, Buck, a few quick things. First, it's really interesting to see Democrats calling for lower standards for PT tests for women in the military because they're biologically different. At the same time, claim it's fine for biological males to compete in female sports for scholarships and other prizes. Second, I think you're wrong about Cuomo. I believe he's on his way out. When Mayor Bill de Blasio spoke against him, I consider that a, a major tell as to where the party is headed. Cuomo is being left no safe quarter, and this works out for Democrats in the long run. First, they get to force him out due to sexual conduct instead of the nursing home scandal. And second, they get to pat pat themselves on the back and tell the public how they don't tolerate that behavior regardless of party. Believe me, they'll cash that check in the future when calling in for Republican resignation. It's all a farce, of course. They don't actually care about sexual misconduct. They're just covering themselves and turning a liability into a future advantage. Well, Brian, I, I don't know if you uh, you heard this part of the show, but I've been saying your analysis and mine lines up on this insofar as I do think they're happy to toss him out over sexual misconduct as a means of getting some points for themselves while also, while also avoiding the nursing home debacle, which the Democrat Party much more broadly has its fingerprints all over. And then uh, as for whether he'll be forced out or not, I was Sure, he wouldn't a couple of weeks ago. I can't say I'm sure anymore. Um, so he, he may be going. I'd, I'd say at this point, it's at this point, it feels 50 50. But if you're asking me to place a bet, I bet he stays. I still bet he stays. All right, we got one more. Steven, I know you've talked about the inevitability of leaving New York City for freer pastures elsewhere. I personally struggle with this in the San Francisco Bay Area where recent years have given us the shadow of the Salesforce Tower, urban camping uh, detritus everywhere, and the death of political diversity. Although it would be easier and maybe logical to just leave, my take now is, you know what? No, I'm staying. Shields high. My family has been here for a handful of generations, so I feel it's my duty to stick this one out. These problems all came within a few decades, so maybe they will pass if we stand against them. My question, do you ever feel that your own family's ties to the Big Apple give you a responsibility to stay and outlast the loonies? Uh, Stephen, yes. The answer to your question is yes, I do have that feeling a lot of the time. I know my, my parents have that feeling still and because uh, they're still here. And I, I agree. There's a part of me that feels like I'm going to be the last, the last conservative trying to hold this place together as it collapses. But we'll see. Everybody, do yourself a favor. Do us all a favor. Have a great weekend. Relax. Chill out. Take some time to reset and we'll come back to you ready to rock on monday shields high